Good morning. How are you doing this morning? Man, my heart is so full. When I look at you people, my heart is just so full. I love you so much, and I'm so grateful uh, that God would allow us to be family together here at South City Church. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, just as Daryl said, we have been in a series for the last two weeks talking about our vision called South South City 20. What what are we doing this year? What's important to us this year? And obviously, you know, it's not just the year that that is important. I mean, we're we're kind of still moving forward in the vision that God has given us a few years ago. Uh, And we've talked about the vision statement in sort of three different statements. Uh, The first one, they're kind of laid out in those three statements on the screen. We talked about the first one the first week, the second one the second week, and this week we're going to talk about the final one and try and bring it all together. Uh, But as we've done every week, I'd love for us to say this vision statement together. I think there's power in us owning this together and wanting to become this together. So can we say this together just out loud? It'll be loud in the room. It'll be wonderful. You ready? Here we go. We exist to love God and all people by becoming authentic disciples who make disciples for the glory of God and the good of the city. I just want to pray. Can we pray right now that God would help us to be that and do that? Father, you're so good. How good you are. God, it's so good to to be with our family. It's so good to to sit around these tables and acknowledge our needs and our brokenness and, and our deficiency. And yet the fact that, Lord, you meet every need. It's been so good to pray together. It's been so good to worship you and to proclaim to each other and to our own hearts. Lord, we need you so desperately. Not every hour, every second, every moment, God, we need you desperately. Father, thank you for these friends. Thank you for our church. Thank you for your spirit that is moving in us purposefully, Lord, individually as families and as one uh, big family of families. God, you are working in and through us to become who you want us to be as a church. But Lord, that only starts with us as individuals becoming who we should be. So God, we we just pray that you would help direct our hearts and minds to the things that you would want us to learn and know and give us the courage, Lord, to walk in your ways to become those people in that church. Father, everything we do, everything we say is for your glory, I pray in Jesus' precious name today. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been talking about all these different things. Uh, We've talked about our love for God and all people. The fact that that's why we exist. We talk about uh, the fact that we need to become disciples. We need to to learn who God wants us to be. But it's not just cognitive. It's also a lifestyle of becoming a disciple. And today we're going to kind of boil it all down. It's going to be about the glory of God. Uh, you remember last week we talked, or maybe on the first week, I can't remember, but we talked about uh, in the 1600s, Presbyterians came up with this kind of statement of faith called the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and I really do appreciate it and love it. Um, and I want to br- kind of remind you of what it says. It just says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. In other words, the reason man exists The purpose in life, the reason you're breathing air this morning is to glorify God. That's the reason we exist. And then in that purpose, and we live in that purpose of glorifying God by existing, by being alive, by breathing air, we can actually enjoy Him because He loves us, right? We're not robots. God has given us life. He's put breath in our lungs so that He can be in relationship with us. We're not robots just walking out the the demands and commands of God. That's not what it is. The Bible says he created us to focus his love on us. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4 that he is the definition of love. God wants relationship with us, and we can actually enjoy life because we're walking in the design that he created. And we can be in relationship with him. So we've talked about these different aspects uh, of our mission statement, Um, but today we're talking about the glory of God. What does that mean? Paul talks about the glory of God, not in a sense of a threat, just a matter of a fact. Let's look at it in in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. 
Paul says, therefore God has highly exalted him, speaking of Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, right, there's not many names listed here. There's one name listed here, no set. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, here's the reality this morning. Whether your life has, whether you've made the choice in your life to glorify God with how you live, with your marriage, with your decisions, with what you see, with what you say, with who you are, regardless of all those aspects, whether you've made the decision, I want to glorify God, guess what? He's going to get his glory either way. God is going to receive glory either way because he's God. He's the only one true God. There is no God beside him. There is no other. He stands far and above any other little g gods. And he will receive his glory, whether we choose to or not. The good thing is about the church is we've made the choice, haven't we? As Christ followers to say, Lord, no, I want to bow my knee now. I want to confess with my lips now that you, in fact, are God that I love you, that I want to serve you, I want to please you, that there's not a, a whole bunch of things, a whole bunch of gods to please. I want to please you and you alone. And so I bow my knee now. But just understand that God will receive his glory whether you bow your knee now or he bows it for you later. <laughs> because he is God. He will receive his glory. You know, uh, John Piper is a guy I respect, I appreciate. He, he says... Uh, as a pastor, he, one of his most famous phrases is, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I got up here a minute ago and I said, talked about how my heart is full when I see you and I spend time with you as a family. Uh, I'm so satisfied in you as my church. I love you. I really do. I'm not just saying it. My daughter, uh, who's in the service this morning, she turned 13 yesterday. And I'm, I'm so proud of her. I, she is my princess. I love her with all my heart. I'm so unbelievably satisfied in who she is and what God is doing in her life and who she's becoming. I'm so satisfied in my beautiful wife of 25 and a half years. I love her with all my heart. I'm so satisfied in, in my work as, as a pastor to serve with an amazing team of pastors and elders to be with you. God has satisfied me in so many beautiful ways. And Piper says that when we're most satisfied, God is most glorified. What is the glory of God? You know? It's kind of it's hard to, to define, honestly. It's sort of the little nebulous a little bit. Uh, Tim Keller says that it's the combined indescribable attributes of God. The sum, total, infinite, indescribable beyondness of God. It's kind of hard to define. It's, it's sort of everything, right? I love that, that uh, Daryl prayed this morning about the sun and the rain, because some days, like today, you kind of go, oh, this is one of those days, right? And yet God has such beautiful purpose in the rain, beautiful purpose in the seasons of life that are not awesome. <laughs> they're not fun. They're not easy. And God uses suffering sometimes more than blessing. But he uses it all for our good and for his glory. And here's the thing. When we realize that God's glory is the all-encompassing purpose of the world and of our lives, then we begin to walk in that. That changes everything. Then we can understand that we really do exist to glorify God. I was looking at our, our vision statement and, and trying to wrap it up this week, and I thought, when you're talking about the glory of God, the reality is we kind of have to reframe the whole vision statement. Because really, in the vision statement, the most important thing, the most important phrase is the glory of God. It sums it all up. So will you just give me a moment here? Let's reframe our vision statement. We're going to start with this. We exist for God's glory. That's why we exist, because he wants us to. Isaiah 6, 3 says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. No matter what spectacular view you've seen, perspective, mountaintop, sunset, first cry of, of your baby girl 13 years ago. <laughs> I can't believe she's 13. 
We had waited 12 years for her to get here. And when that little beautiful little baby cried the first time, trust me, I gave glory to God. Psalm 150 verse 6 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's another way of saying glorify God. Let everything that has breath glorify God. Are you breathing this morning? Are you here? Do you exist? Then we exist to glorify God. That's the purpose of that breath. That's the reason we're alive, to give him glory. Isaiah 43, 7, the Lord says, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God formed you. He made you. He put breath in your lungs to glorify him. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. And when we come to the understanding that life and breath and every moment in life is not about us, it's about God, it's about his glory, things change. We can begin to realize this is our purpose. We're created. We exist for God's glory. Even our existence just brings him glory. When the cells come together in our mother's womb, we bring God glory. When our little hearts begin to beat, we give God glory, and when we speak, when we, we cry in that first breath of air, it brings God unbelievable glory. Listen, this past week we, we celebrated sanctity of life. And this is one of the reasons that abortion is such a heinous and horrible sin and crime. Because when we abort a baby, we are taking uh, the opportunity for that child to give God glory for the rest of his life. We take it away. It's horrible. It's also the reason why suicide is such an awful decision. Because for some reason we think, hey, I'm in control enough that I just want to end it. No, it's not yours to end. That literally being alive brings God glory. And when you cut that short, you are diminishing the glory of God. It's not good. It's a horrible, horrible thing. And you've never been in control and you never will be. Life matters from conception to the grave. It's designed for us to give God glory in every single moment. So you might ask the question, so just to breathe air, just for my heart to beat, does that give God glory? Yep. Just your existence gives God glory. And as we come to an age sort of understanding, that's why we exist. That's, that's why we're here, to bring God glory. If we can come to that understanding, then it's up to us to make choices to bring God glory. We, 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 honestly, we don't diminish God's glory. He, he gets his glory regardless, but we can give him more. We can give him more with the things that we choose and how we live and, and what we do. We acknowledge that this life has been given to us to bring him glory. And that gives us a purpose in life. And when we live in that purpose, we live in that design and we walk in relationship with Jesus, it brings him incredible glory. In fact, I like the way Paul says that even the small things in life can bring God glory. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the what? Glory of God. The smallest things in your life can bring God glory. Did you know that? You're going to go to lunch in a little bit. You can bring God glory at lunch. You're going to take a drink. Taking a drink right now, Jason, do it for the glory of God. We kind of go, <laughs> that's it. No, really. Every second, every moment of our lives, every heartbeat can be a God-glorifying moment. Peter says this, 2 Peter 1, 3, his divine power has granted us, granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. God has given us everything we need to live. And to live for him in a godly way. He's given it all to us. He, he, he feeds us. He gives us everything we need to bring him glory. You already have it. We literally exist for God's glory. Here's the second thing. As we reframe our vision statement, it would look like this. We love God and all people for God's glory. When we love him, we talked about this last, uh, I guess, the first week. When we love God, we, we, we use the, what's called the great commandment from Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. That's where we kind of get this part of our vision statement. And when we talk about that, when we're loving God, it brings Him glory because that's how He designed us. That's why we're created. And where we're loving other people as we love ourselves or even as we love other people as Jesus loved us, we're bringing Him glory because that's being obedient to what He's called us to do. Look what uh, Romans 15, 7 says. I love this especially in this context that we're in this morning. Romans 15, 7 says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Did you know when you walk in this room and you go, Hey, how's it going? Good morning. You give a hug. You doing okay? Yeah. You're bringing glory to God. When you pray with somebody who's struggling, you're giving glory to God. When we welcome one another... We're giving glory to God. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. 2 Corinthians 4.15 says, For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. See, as more people hear about this beautiful story of Jesus who has given his life, he died for me and for you, and God raised him on the third day. He, he did that in my place. He was my substitute on that cross. And my faith in him, in my, my belief in that, gives me access to this grace. And as it extends to more and more people, they become thankful for heaven. They become thankful for life in Christ. And it gives God glory. That's, that's our prayer is that through your work, uh, through your neighborhoods, through your city groups, through your relationships with your family, with your kids, in every aspect of your lives, that as grace is extended to more and more people, they come to the place where they go, thank you, God, for those people. Thank you, God, for your grace that I'm learning in this environment. Thank you, Lord. And that thanksgiving brings glory to God. Jesus said, listen, when you love people, even people who are, well, let me put it this way, when you love people who could never love you back, when you give something to somebody who's never going to give it back, marginalized, homeless, broken, terminal, in prison, whatever the case may be, and you love them and you care for them, Jesus says, you're loving me. You're loving me. It's just like you're loving me directly when you love those people. Here's the second section. We're becoming authentic disciples who make disciples for God's glory. We're becoming his disciples who make disciples because of his glory. It brings him glory when we know him more. Romans 5, 2 says this, through him we have also obtained access by faith, we studied this in Galatians, into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I said a minute ago, Christ took our place, right? He was our substitute. And by faith, we say, Lord, I believe you died for me. I believe you really walked this earth and you did so without any sin. You were perfect. And so when you died on a cross as a criminal, though you weren't one, as if you had made mistakes, as if you had broken the greatest of laws and you never broke one, I believe, God, when you did that, you did that in my place because I've broken them all. I'm the one who should die. I'm the one that should hang on a cross because I am a sinner. I am a criminal. I am a liar. I am an adulterer. I am all the things that are sin. And yet Jesus did this. He forgives me because he was none of those things. And his life on that cross, his death on that cross, rescued me and it rescues you and when you believe in that gospel of Jesus and you repent of your sin and say God I want to walk in your way I want to be who you want me to be when we live that way he becomes our substitute and he saves us by his grace and this verse says that's our hope we rejoice in that hope in that narrative of Jesus dying on a cross he brings him glory. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 says, We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. 
Paul's saying to the Thessalonians, no, I'm telling you, what brings God glory is when you walk in such a way that honors God. What brings God glory is when you are obedient to the first principles that I've shared with you, right? We've talked about these in our, in our Bible study groups. We've been two years talking through first principles. It's a way of living. It's a way of acknowledging who Jesus is and living in the way he wants us to live that he modeled for us in his life. And when we walk in those ways, Paul's saying, that, that's a way uh, to walk worthy of the one who's called you. And then he says this in Romans 4.20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave God glory, as he, as he gave glory to God. What Paul's saying is there's a progression to our faith. We, we mentioned this last week, salvation and faith in Christ is not one and done. It's not, hey, I went to camp as a little kid and I remember I gave my heart to Jesus. I asked Jesus into my heart. We say those phrases. But salvation is more than a phrase. It's more than just a prayer. It's an ongoing, learning, loving, growing aspect of our faith. Paul says he grew in his faith. He grew in his discipleship as he gave glory to God. God's continually calling out to us to know him, to love him, to be in relationship with him. And yes, he does it for your good. He does it so that your marriage is better. He does it so that you know, finances are, are handled in a, in a godly way. He does it so that you can help raise your children in a beautiful way. But friends, don't, don't miss the fact that he does it because it brings him glory. It brings him glory. Everything revolves around his glory. And as we come to know him, as we serve him, as we live in him, guess what happens to our hearts? we begin to take on the things that he looks like. The things that, that, that matter to, to, to him begin to matter to us. Right? I'll, I'll never forget, you know, my dad's a, kind of an insane Razorback fan. He'd be proud of that statement, I think. He, he, he uh, loves the Razorbacks, Razorback everything. Well, guess what? When I was a kid and I started coming up, well, you think I'm going to root for LSU? I mean, my brother-in-law wants me to, but there's not, it's not going to happen, right? Here's what I'm saying. We, I begin to take on the passions that my father had. That's what happens with children. And as we come to know Jesus more, we love him more, our hearts ought to begin to look more like his. And we ought to want the things he wants. And what does he want? <laughs> not sure about that. Uh, but I'll tell you what I know for sure he does want. He wants us to take the gospel of Jesus to the world. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. We know that much. Look at, look at uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4 through 6. It says this. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Look at this last verse. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying here is, you are the light of God. And it's his desire that we begin to shine his light of who he is to a dark world. Just as he spoke it in Genesis and creation, let there be light, and light comes out of darkness. He's saying, in the darkness of our world, be the light. Live as light. Let all the things that, that I am and that I love and my desires, let it be shown through you to all people. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. Jesus speaks about his glory and his sovereignty in the Great Commission. We talked about the Great Commandment, right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbors yourself. That's the Great Commandment. But we also talked about the Great Commission a few chapters later in Matthew 28. And before, and it's, you know, we talked about it last week, and we just started where it says, go into all the world, right? Well, if you back up just a few words, Jesus talks about his glory. He talks about his sovereignty when he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Does that change the Great Commission? <laughs> to know that he is in charge. Jesus is in charge. He, he's sovereign. And he says to his disciples, 
All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go. Go and make disciples, baptizing them. Teach them all the things that I've commanded you. Teach them to obey all the things I've commanded you. But even what's more beautiful as well is at the end of that he says, I'm going to be with you. You're not going alone. I'm in control of all things and on the back end of that, and I'm going to be with you. That's comforting to me. To know he's in control and to know that he's with me. God is sovereign even in our efforts to make disciples. And as we reflect his heart, as we know the things that he's passionate about, we, we begin to live his mind and think his thoughts in that way because he's directed us in that way, then we too are going to want to see people come to know Christ, to be discipled to him, to walk life in him. Sometimes I wonder why we fail at this so much as the church. Because it's not sort of like a a recommendation. (laughs) Jesus didn't say, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. You might consider going and making disciples. Is that what he said? Hey, one option you guys could think about is go and making disciples. That Maybe think about that. He didn't say that, did he? This is a very clear directive by Jesus. He's showing us his heart when he says, go and make disciples. It's a commandment. It's a commandment. And we have to be obedient to that commandment. And if we don't, we're not even a church. Did you know that? That's that's one of the purposes of the church. To go. To make disciples. If we're not doing that for God's glory, then we cease to be a church. You know what I think is interesting? Take just a minute on this. It's so interesting to me. Jesus is speaking to the leaders of the church, which were the, the, the disciples at that point. Acts 1.8, and he says, he says, go to Jerusalem, wait. He says, the Holy Spirit is going to fall on you, and it's going to empower you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world. So Jesus is kind of giving a definition of one of the things the Spirit is going to do. The Spirit's going to fall on you, and it's going to, because he falls on you, you're going to be empowered to be witnesses. He says that to the leaders of the church. But then when the Spirit falls in Acts 2, the very next chapter, does he fall just on the leaders? The Bible says there were 120 believers, and the Spirit fell in that upper room on all of those believers. What is God trying to say? to his church when the Spirit falls on all of the believers. Now, what was the reason for the Spirit? To empower you to go, to empower you to be the witnesses that he wanted you to be. And so when the Spirit falls on everybody, the assumption is what? Everybody goes. That's who we are. If you are saved, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you are sent. It's that simple. It's that simple, friends. Are we going? Do you feel a disconnect in the church today? Do you feel a disconnect in your own heart? Do you feel like there's a a wall between you and your next door neighbor? Oh, I just can't bring it up. My heart starts beating 90 to nothing when I think about it. No, no, no. The spirit of the living God has been given to you as a believer in Jesus to empower you to go. He said in Jerusalem, which is your next door neighbor, right? Jerusalem, Judea, which is just outside of Jerusalem. Samaria, further than that, the rest of the world. God gives us the power and the heart and he's with us. He said, I'll go with you. We have to be about making Jesus known to the world or we're not even a church. And then the last phrase of our our, uh, statement today. This looks a little different than our statement. I begin to realize that, you know, that last part of that statement is kind of small vision. Our vision statement says, we exist to love God and all people by becoming authentic disciples who make disciples for the glory of God and the good of the city. But I realized when people begin to live for the glory of God, it doesn't just change the city. It changes the world. It changes you, it changes your kids, it changes your family, it changes uh, your neighborhood, it changes your county, it changes your state, it changes the world if we'll let it. How do we get there? We live for the glory of God, that's how. We live for the glory of God because 
when the grace of God changes our lives and we begin to walk as authentic disciples who make disciples, God turns self-centered sinners into God-centered saints, and everything gets better. I believe that with all my heart. People who are serving God will make a difference in everything. They become better people. Their marriages become better. They become, they have better families. They have better churches. They run better businesses. They build better communities and better cities. Yes, our city will get better if we live for the glory of God, but that's a small vision. I don't want to change our statement. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if we will live for the glory of God in every heartbeat of our lives, we could change the world, not just the city. We got to stop thinking so small. Listen to this. History credits Christ's followers who are glorifying God with changing the world. Let me say a few names. Copernicus, believer. He, he's the one that had the theory that planets revolved around the sun. Uh, Newton, the law of gravity. If you're a musician, you'll, res, you'll resonate with these names. Bach, Mozart, Handel, all, all wanting to give glory to God. Michelangelo, Rembrandt, Charles Dickens, Florence Nightingale, revolutionized modern nursing. Abraham Lincoln, he was changed by, uh, by a book written by the lady uh, named Harriet Beecher Stowe because of the reality of what it showed about slavery. And it helped change the Civil War and the outcome. William Wilberforce in, in England. This past week, we celebrated the, the birth and life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And what he accomplished for civil rights. And we still fight this fight. All Christ followers, all longing to bring glory to God. And they changed the world. There's no reason your name shouldn't be on this list, friend. The reality is, forget fame. Forget our names going down in history. What if, what if just your glorifying God changed your family? What if it changed the systems of what your family came out of? The brokenness of what maybe you were raised in can stop right here. And there didn't have to be alcoholism. There doesn't have to be neglect. There doesn't have to be abuse. There can be change for the glory of God because you long to glorify him in everything you are. Whether it's medicine, science, law, education, and a million other things, Christians glorifying God with their lives have changed the world. Here's the vision we have as a church. We want to see better families. We want to see better people. We want to see a better city. We want to see a better Southwest Little Rock. We want to see a, a better kids and better grades in LSY. We want to see families connected. We want to see fatherlessness end. Families brought together. We want to see the glory of God in each of our lives, in every part of our lives. Before I end and we go into our discussion around the tables, remind you of the prophet Jeremiah. When he speaks this to the exiles in Babylon, just remember for a second, these people had been taken into captivity in Babylon. How would you feel about your captives? You probably wouldn't like them much, right? You're not going to be happy with those people, and you're not going to be happy with where they've taken you. And there was a false prophet that said, hey, it's only going to be two years. You just have to put up with this for two years, then you can go back to Jerusalem. Well, he was false, and that wasn't right. And God speaks this in Jeremiah 29 through Jeremiah. He basically says, it's not two years. In fact, you need to settle down. Settle down where you are. Plant gardens. Build homes. Let your children intermarry. Build a life. Get comfortable in the uncomfortable. For this reason, in Jeremiah 29, 7, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find welfare. Are you, are you walking through a season you don't want to be in? Are you walking through a medical issue or a marriage issue or a finance issue or whatever kind of brokenness and heartache that you're walking through? And you're like, I don't want to be here. And God says, seek the welfare of that city where I have sent you into that place and that season in your life. Listen, I believe with all my heart, God planted South City Church right here, right there in that spot on the map. 
Wasn't my choice. This is what God called me to. He, already, he had already planted it, right? So what are we going to do with that? Amen. I pray that we will. What do we do with the fact that God has called us to this place at this time? Well, I hope that we will seek the welfare of Southwest Little Rock and Central Little Rock and West and East and North Little Rock, Conway, Hot Springs, Alexander, Bryant, Benton, all these areas that you all live in. Because wherever you are, you can bring glory to God because the church isn't right here. The church doesn't exist right there. That's our building. You exist wherever you are and you are the church. So we pray, Lord, on the behalf of Southwest Little Rock and all these places that we live. And in doing so, God will do something in us. That's the prayer. Can I tell you just a little bit of vision as we go into this rest of this year? And I'm excited about this year. And the Lord has laid some things on on our hearts that are specific that we're moving into. I really hope that our city groups go deeper in relationship. I hope they grow deeper in real care and community. I really do. And I hope that they will begin to have a vision for their neighbors missionally. That's, I pray that for our city groups this year. I, I'm praying for um, a specific uh, neighborhood. I'll be honest with you. The Lord laid on my heart Otter Creek. How many of you live in Otter Creek? Let me see your hands. Anybody else? So we have uh, two small groups in Otter Creek and potential of more. But the Lord has laid that neighborhood on my heart. And I, I'm not sure what that means. I think we might begin to be a little more strategic about investing in Otter Creek and trying to spend time. We want the thousand homes that, that are in Otter Creek to know that we are right here and we love them and we'd be honored to be family with them. So we're praying about what does that look like? And also just praying that God would give us the ability to invest and live out the mission that he's given us. You walk under this statement every week. But it's not just something we walk under or we even read or we even memorize, but that it's something that's lived out in our lives that we truly understand why we exist. Do you know? Do you know why you exist? It's because God loves you. He wants relationship with you. He wants you to love him and he wants you to love all people. And he wants you to know him as an authentic disciple, not somebody that goes, check mark, I went to church. That's not discipleship. That's attendance. He wants you to live in him as an authentic disciple. And when you know his heart, it'll reflect his heart, which is to make disciples. And when we do that, friends, it's going to bring the greatest of glory to our God. It'll make everything better, including our city. Would you pray with Jesus? Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for these friends that are with us today, God. Thank you for the vision you've given us as a church and and as leaders and elders and people who love you and long to make you known. God, each of us sees these aspects of our vision statement, and we know that there may be many things. I, I look at it and think, Lord, I've got so much to grow in. I've got so much to learn. I've got so many things that I want my heart to to, uh, be filled with that represent you, that that is not represented as much as it needs to be. God, change me and help me. God, our prayer for this year, 2020, is that we would reflect your heart, that we would love you, that we would take that love to everyone we know. God, that we would authentically understand who we are in you and help others to come to understand you. And as we try to better our neighborhoods and better our friends and families and schools and communities, Lord, it will make our city better and ultimately it will bring you glory. God, will you make us a church? Lord, if we were to pray a prayer, Lord, this is the most important statement we could could make. God, would you make us a church that brings you glory? Would you make us marriages and families and individuals, God? who bring you glory. Father, thank you for this time as we go into this discussion. Help us to have honest answers and honest discussions as we learn more about what it means to walk in you and to glorify you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me me direct you this way. 
some of you are new to us and you're going, what's about to happen? <laughs> it's okay, no big deal. Uh, we're going to turn around to these tables and for 10 or 11 minutes, we're going to let you discuss the questions on the card in front of you. It's questions that deal with what we've already talked about this morning. Be honest. Somebody in the group facilitate and work those questions. This is not the end of the service. I'll come back in just a few minutes and we'll have an ending of the service. But let's just spend some time together if we can right now.
And we're wrapping up here. It goes by fast. Let me ask you this question as you're finishing up here. Do we ever consider the glory of God? Do you ever really think about, is, is this, is this going to bring him glory? This thing that I'm doing, this work, this relationship, this, this lifestyle, is this going to bring God glory? Do we even care? Are there some things that need to change in our lives in order to reorient who we are so that we can truly bring God glory? Right? So that we can truly reflect his heart to the world because life's not about us. It's about him bringing him glory. I want to just pray. We're going to sing a song, Daryl. Let's go ahead and have our team come up and we're going to sing this song uh, here in just a second. And uh, listen, if you have a prayer request, we're going to end this series. I know it's been a little different with tables and we'll go back to not tables next week uh, for the first time in a while. Yeah, I know. Some of it's been good, hasn't it? I've really enjoyed the conversation with you, with you all, and it's been really good. But I just want you to know this altar's still here. And maybe God's doing something in your heart about a change that needs to happen in you as a result of bringing God glory. And if that's the case and you want somebody to pray with you, I just want you to know I'm going to be down here doing this song, and you can come right down, and I'll pray with you. We have other elders that are down here. They're happy to pray with you. Maybe you just want to come down to this altar area and pray to the Lord, not talk to anybody but him, and that, that's fine. Maybe you're sitting with somebody that you can go, hey, you know, I'm struggling with this. Would you pray with me about this thing? And that's fine as well. My request, though, is that we just take a moment to just quiet our spirit, quiet our hearts. Say, God, what part of my life needs to change to bring you glory? What needs to happen in me in order to reflect you. So let's pray and sing. Father, thank you for this time. Move us toward obedience to bringing you glory in all that we are and all that we do. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.